All right, welcome to another podcast with members from all around the world, from Bangkok, from Israel, from the UK, and from the great land of turmoil, the United States, where in 25 days we're either going to be really screwed or <laughs> halfway screwed. Uh, so myself, Zach Peaster, Anthony Back, Julian Berto, Colin Thompson, talking about the intersection of deep tech technology and government and politics today uh, and i think it's really interesting you know fairly deep topics we're going to say uh, we'll go a little bit deep and not further not really deep dives we'll do those on for future episodes but what's really interesting is some things that happened in the past week or so uh particularly on the blockchain and crypto side with the announcement of uh, turmoil at Coinbase uh, relative oh, yeah. to Black Lives Matter movement um, and the CEO's insistence on not proclaiming that Black Lives Matter and a fairly significant departure uh, of some high-ranking engineering talent. Uh, secondly, we'll talk about really kind of this role between that role that technology is playing in global politics and global diplomacy and particularly it does center around china and the us as it always does but there's a lot of other factors and lastly the ways in which covid is accelerating transformation in organizations uh, and decelerating uh, growth efforts in some other organizations so a, a um, packed topic list today and we're going to start with politics black lives matter and Coinbase, love them or hate them, big company, probably going to go public in 2021, at least as, if the rumors are true. And, you know, went from, you know, 15 people in 2015, 14, I think, if I recall, up to about 1,000 people today. And there is significant political drama within the organization around Black Lives Matter and the organization's trying to move away from being a crypto bro uh, to something different. And so I'll start yeah. this off with Colin, uh, right? And if we look at the politics, we look at social activism, we look at the role that technology plays and, and how it affects employees in the market in whole. What should Coinbase be doing now relative to diversity and inclusion and, and Black Lives Matter? I mean, I mean, this is a, a pretty layered topic, especially when it comes <laughs> you to think. But, but I think, I think he, I think the CEO made the right. I, I think there's only a few kinds of decisions you can make as as a leader of an organization like that. It's either we are not political, or they have a political stance. And I think if they're an organization like a, a company, and if they want to be Switzerland, I think that is perfectly fine. Um, what I gathered from the article, at least, is that yes, out, like you know, outwardly facing, they're Switzerland, right? They don't take a political stance, but um, internally, they have their own policies and 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 uh, outlook that will shape the organization as it pertains to diversity and inclusion. And so, I, I think he actually made a very good decision by staying staying out of politics. Period. Right. Well, so I think you can either you could either do it, you know, one of a few ways. Like, you know, take for an example, like a Nike, where obviously, like, you know, their consumer base is more ethnic for, you know, um, lack of a better term, and um, affluent ethnic people. And so, you know, like the Colin Kaepernick type of stance is a good business move for them, um, because that is the culture and the nature of their business. Whereas I think, you know, with a, with a, with a cryptocurrency exchange, like, 
I think that they should, you know, whatever your values are, you're free to have them. Well, you're free but, to express but, but contrast that, Colin, with, with their organization. They, I don't think they need to, they don't need to have to make a social stance as an organization. Yeah, but, but they are making a social stance. I mean, their, their whole mission is around financial inclusion and access to uh, financial opportunities for everybody. If that's not a, but that doesn't, a, that doesn't have a, that doesn't that goes beyond beyond ethnicity. Of course, of course, but that in, in in the in the big scheme of things, you know what that implies is we're here to help everybody. Yeah, I exactly. So when I say when I say he goes, we are not a political organization. You're free to hold whatever views you want, but as an organization, we won't we won't uh, inject a corporate personality into a political arena. I think that's a very wise move. Very wise. What what would have happened? Do you think if he would have came out and proclaimed Black Lives Matter? What was the 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 path that we would likely have gone down? Like, you know, what what are the risks well, of doing that? You, you know, here's the thing, right? I think you know, I'll use the example. Michael Jordan said it best. Yeah, Republicans buy Nikes too, <laughs> right? Like Republicans buy sneakers too. So he goes like, you know, they probably buy Skechers, but not Nike. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, <laughs> there was a big backlash against him too when he had made that comment where he's saying, listen, like, you know, this is a business for me. And like, you know, um, you know, to alienate anybody in my audience is not really my business. You, you, the views that you hold are your own. And I think that if you're buying into, you know, the, the, the values of our organization, it's because it's inclusive and open and we don't, we don't, uh, we don't take a particular stance against any one a group or another. So, but so then I think it applies that that he is the company and the company is him, you know. Whereas <laughs> an individual, it's a very very profound saying that you said that that uh, that's, that came from Louis the Fourteenth. Oh, did it? <laughs> yeah, it goes, um, "L'État c'est moi," and that means the state is me. I am the state and the state is me. So it was yeah. one and the same thing, right? So very much like this guy. But I think what he's saying is like. At least how I interpret it, right, is whatever you guys want to believe is up to you. I am not going to infringe on that right. It's very libertarian. Right? What you want to believe is what you want to believe. You want to participate in politics? Great. But us as an organization, Coinbase, yeah. is going to stay Switzerland, right? Yeah, and I, like I completely agree. I, I think it's, a comp it's not only uh, a move that is completely okay, it's a wise move. Yes, true. Any any company that has waded into politics has been screwed somehow. Is, is it really and, politics or just? I, I know. Well, is it just being yeah. socially aware? I don't know. I think well, it's. And I, sorry, I was just to interject real quickly. I think it's also a very American narrative. But go yeah, ahead, Anthony. Part. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's take our politics any company that a lot of companies that try to get into these controversial even though it shouldn't be it's not a controversial topic because obviously black lives matter but it has become politicized and therefore he said um let's stay out of it he's not saying you know you can't believe what you want to believe he's saying just you know have these conversations when you're out with your friends and with your you know having a coffee or whatever and it's as a private company he's uh, he's perfectly entitled to say that well he's, he's going to have to say something different you know as he's prepping for the ipo right so mm. i you know i think they're 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 a shrewd business move doesn't necessarily 
make a, a what I would call kind of a good person move. So I, I agree that from a business perspective, probably did the right thing. Uh, mm. But I just, you know, I think I, I hold people to a higher standard than their, their corporate uh, persona. Well, I mean, but like I, I, hear, I would argue this. It's like, you know, I, I am Canadian, right? Canada is, an, is hey. neutral, right? Yeah. Canada is neutral. Switzerland is neutral and they do it for a very specific reason, right? It's because it's because if you're small, it, it, it preserves your integrity because, you know, you never know where you're going to get attacked and for whatever reason, right? And secondly, I would say, you know, you got to think just like Nike, they understood their customer base and what the proper business decision was for them to weigh in in political situations. I think he does too. And I don't think that his customer base is, is, is very pro Black Lives Matters. Feel me? I do. I yeah, do. Like crypto, it's a cryptocurrency exchange. Is I don't think like you know, <laughs> you know he has a very wide swath of like you know, um, uh, or ethically diverse customer base, right? So in a way, like if he does come out with Black Lives Matters, you know he might piss off like thirty percent of his customers, which is that's just crazy to me, right? I I, I, I get just, it. I understand yeah. it. And as a business owner, you have to do certain things, but it just doesn't sit well, it doesn't sit well for me. And, th and this is actually a good segue. As we look at the role that technology is playing in a highly politicized environment relative to the superpowers, right? And, and less so in, in some other markets and how technology really is becoming a driving force and a driving wedge between governments. Uh, we look at, at, at TikTok and, and Huawei and others that are being effectively banned by the U.S. and other nations. And, and China is doing the same. And this political maneuvering between, you know, two giants using technology as a, 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 a force multiplier, this is scaring me, right? And, you know, I, I don't know that, that this is just between regulators and policymakers or if it's going to have a real impact beyond the banning of applications, you know, for the, the average Joe on the street. Oh, I wouldn't even, I would even go further to think like, you know, if we take it back to the black Lives matters and, you know, organizations making political statements, look what happened to the NBA, you know, when they, when someone tweeted out, you know, um, you know, stand with Hong Kong. Yep. You know, like all of a sudden, like all these guys that are super woke, you know, just got like all mush mouth because like, it, you know, they didn't realize like, you know, how much they're within the global arena and the global geopolitics that, you know, shape our, our world. It's not just the local communities that we're in. Right. And so I think like, you know, just like sports, I think technology is going to take a very similar track in the sense that, you know, countries feel pride in the organizations that grow up and develop in, within their borders, you know? And I think that, you know, ultimately they do get politicized simply because it's a point of showing, um, you know, uh, it's a, uh, projecting national strength, right? And so I think like, you know, these, I mean, one of the reasons why, it, you know, TikTok is probably facing so much backlash is, okay, yes, it's data and all that stuff, but it's one of the first Chinese organizations that has gone global. That is a global brand. How many chi global Chinese brands are there? Very few that have yeah. have made that leap.
yeah. at least in the it's, U.S. So in a way, it's it's you know when it gets to be that large and it gets to you know have that much appeal, right? It's a point of pride, you know. So the, the Chinese government will be like, in a way, they're proud of you know the things that TikTok has accomplished, its scale, its growth, and how it's entertaining people and it's grown a community, right? And then at the same time, it's threatening to Americans because they go, hey, wait a second, that that you know that. Uh, betrays our own identity in terms of like you know our ability to be dominant in, in technology you know so i think you know just in the same way you know sports has been used as a political tool i think technology will be uh, we're obviously seeing it technology will be as well too well, 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 right. so you, you said the question on on how many chinese brands about go on global you know how and we'll use sports as an example you know the mm-hmm. nba generates what a half a billion billion dollars of revenue from china alone yeah just alone, yeah. you know i mean, I mean it's a big chunk yeah, they, they, i mean they pay more the cba it's a joint venture but the c yeah. the, the chinese basketball association they pay more money than the nba it's See, way more it, it, like it's not marvelous over in china <laughs> right and then you get all the all the, the the brand endorsements for for the athletes right and it's more like the tail wagging the dog, the NBA being a U.S. organization. But ultimately, and I do remember, I don't know who it was, one of the players had posted something on Instagram, you know, we stand with the protesters in Hong Kong. Yeah. Right? And completely caused no, a global no. uproar, yeah, particularly in China, like, hey, we're going to cut the spigot off because, yeah. you know, you're not with us, one China. Yeah. So I think the same thing is, is happening in technology, you know, where it's like, uh, you know, these, these organizations are supranational and because their data and technology capabilities, they actually are like a very power, like they're, they're more powerful than the governments in a sense. Right. And so yeah, it's no, threatening. I, yeah. I also, I was going to say that I think that technology now is, is the weapon of choice because we're moving into a digital world and what matters is technology. Mm-hmm. and knowledge and those are the most powerful weapons now if you like the us is um i think they're cutting off some semiconductor company yep. which is like a huge part in in chip make in chips in lots of different devices and that has the ability to like cripple china in in numerous different ways so that these are like the most power in a digital world technology and knowledge is the biggest, cutting those off is the biggest weapon you can use. You know, what's interesting, I think I bring this up specifically because you're in Israel. And if you look at Israel as a hotbed of, of, of innovation over the course of the last 20 years, you know, I'd argue that, that you know, Israel uh, specifically has done more to drive innovation around cyber and security and, and other elements that they're punching way above their weight class. And how is it that Israel is, you know, driving, you know, a, a political agenda uh, or their agenda uh, to other parts of the world by use of their technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, they, they punch way above their weights because a lot of that is because they have, they're so advanced in technology. Not that I may add, you will see that in many governments departments but that's a separate story <laughs> but they 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 have built up out of necessity because they have really no natural resources um and because of the security situation they've had to build it up 
build up their tech. That's like, that's how they survive. Basically, I would yeah. encourage actually, if you if you really want a great book on that, um, you should read a book called The Startup Nation. I forget the author, but it's really enlightening as to how Israel used uh, its military to actually start a technology sector in all different uh, aspects. It's very interesting. The Startup Nation, you say? Yes, Startup That's Nation. I forget the other thing. Cool, we'll check into it. Um, so, a little bit of loss for words, right? When, when, when I think about the role that President Trump is playing in, in nationalizing America, uh, the role that obviously President Xi uh, in China is nationalizing China and Chinese tech. Um, and, you know, I think it was announced today there's, uh, you know, in the greater Bay effort, particularly Shenzhen and the special economic zone, that they're pouring another hundreds of billions of dollars into further extending their reach from a technology perspective for the rest of the world. So how do do nations and think about, you know, technology as a, a, a threat to national security, uh, but also to the livelihood and GDP and economic growth and, and viability of a nation when you have these two superpowers, and particularly China that's investing far more in tech than anybody else in the world. How do you compete against that? I mean, that's a good, I mean, I think it's the, the question everybody has. This is a sort of perennial type of a question. Um, I don't know. There's, I still, I still really think of. There's something about, um, you know, the construct of free market democratic societies that um, just produces naturally excellence mm -hmm. and it's just, it's just something that's just, it's just it just can't be it, it can't be uh, constructed it can't be you know artificially produced it's really a part of the values in the, the of the nation and like you know like in Israel right where it's like you know you don't have any natural resources you don't have any um, you have threats on every every side of your country and no allies so what do you do if you know it's really an issue of survival and it becomes a culture where you know this it's just a part of you know who those people are and i think and it just i just think of america as like you know just it's the creativity for some reason is just you know you don't like you don't have to have the government to put in a whole bunch of money to do something cuz somebody will come up with something because they see that opportunity and like they buy into you know what it is to be an american and and they kind of go for it and I think that for some reason that just always wins out. I, 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 I haven't, I can't think of another time in history or an era in history where, you know, massive amounts of government spending have, you know, created, you know, uh, comparative advantages for nations. You know, there's just something about the industriousness and the, the, the wilderness and the, the kind of desperation that America creates that makes people come up with like things like Facebook and Google and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but they're, they're, but they're like Facebook. I, I I'm still convinced I'm a huge conspiracy theorist and I have no basis in fact, in what I'm about to say, but I still think they're a, a NSA or CIA funded organization that uh, maybe 
you know, Zuckerberg built it to be one thing uh, and the powers to be, uh, you know, behind Palantir found a way, an opportunity that they could use and leverage the data collection uh, from a platform like that to aid in their efforts. Um, and I don't, I, 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 I don't know that for a fact, uh, pure conjecture, so you can't sue me. But I do think it's interesting that, and going back to what you said earlier, Colin, is, is, is your ability to collect data, analyze data, and develop products or missions based on that data. And ultimately, that's what all of these companies are, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Tencent, data. Uh, all of the above, right? And you know, I find it quite ironic that you know the U.S. bans TikTok because they're collecting data, when in fact ninety percent of of the systems they use in the government, particularly if it's fueled by Palantir, is all about data collection, whether you like it or not. And there's been a challenge. Though, that it's, it's like the question though becomes, you know, okay, if everybody's collecting data, you know, where do you go for recourse? In the case with TikTok, well what they're objecting about is you could, it's a, it's a very obvious case where we may not like it, but at least the courts in America are independent. Courts in Europe are independent. Whereas <laughs> on, 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 on paper, but there, there's like most of these courts, particularly in the federal system where they're appointed, it's all political. Like they're independent technically on paper, but there's no independent thought in our court system. What I mean by independent is, is like a, a judge does not have a problem with ruling against the president. Yes. Okay. Whereas that's not the case in a lot of other countries, <laughs> right? So, I, like, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but I'm saying that there is there is a common understanding that there is some there is some level of transparency within these 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 arenas to get recourse. Whereas I think that, like, you know, with something like TikTok, it's questionable, right? I think people would have the same issue if, like, you know, if, um, you know, a, a social media or data collection company from Russia started, you know, you know, going mainstream across all around the world. I think they'd have the same issue. But they don't have an issue if it's American companies, right? Like this, well, this is what I'm saying is because for, 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 you know what? Like, I think this is another thing that you might be taking for granted. Yeah, I think if if you said like this, if you said, "Hey, every single country has open borders now," where do you think everybody would go? Uh, probably to America. America. I would like leave. You could go, yeah, you would leave. Right? But like, if you really think about it, if, if like if we are all free to go anywhere we wanted. I wouldn't right. go to America. Where would you go? I don't know, but actually, I, I wouldn't go to America. Oh, but the, the the good thing is, is this is that like you know, it, be, because of you know the way the the world is kind of developed, there's options, right? Like maybe like our grandparents, they didn't have those kind of options. Yeah. Well, right now because of COVID, right? So the American passport used to be very powerful right it entrance into a lot of countries and not a big deal right something we've all taken for granted as americans now in, in time of covid americans can travel i think to 19 countries today versus yeah. 150 you know yeah. pre-covid 
And, you know, it's a little bit of glimpse of, I, I suppose, what other people feel that are, are, that don't have powerful passports, right? So we, we, we were born into the, the, the passport lottery, if you will. Yeah. So like, just on that point, like I, if you really think if, you, if anybody had free, free opportunity to go anywhere they want, I think America would be very high on the list for a lot of people, maybe not for people like us who have the luxury yeah. of kind of, right. But if you, if you live in like, you know, you know, uh, you know, any place, you know, you know, rural Philippines or like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's course of Jakarta. Like, and someone said, you can come to America and nobody's going to give you a hard time. People will be, I mean, you couldn't keep people out. I think it would yeah. be amazing if that happened though. Right. <laughs> yeah. I would you know, love it. Like, you know, going into the free, you know, but, so I think there's, there's a reason why, you know, um, people do trust, um, some of these organizations more so than they would from other countries. Should, should they be broken up though? Right. So there's a big push and, and again, it's all politicized, but a big push yeah. to break up, you know, these big uh, tech giants, because in fact they do yield monopoly like power, right. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in each of their domains. I mean, it's crazy how much monopoly power they have, you mm -hmm. know, is that they, should we start thinking really seriously thinking about, you know, breaking the monopolies and, and giving entrepreneurs a chance to, to, to build something amazing, like, you know, another Google, another Facebook or better versions of such. I don't know, Julian, you've been pretty quiet. Yeah, come on, <laughs> Julian. He's just biding his time. Uh, this is such a difficult question. I think uh, it ties into even China and the US and sort of that kind of mix between what is going to work better for the world, whether it's democratic or totalitarian. And I think that there's a case for both. Um, when you look at different parameters, whether it's the growth of a nation, I don't, if you look at uh, China or Singapore, there's no way they would have grown as quickly as fast if they had mm -hmm. been democratic from the get go. Um, with breaking up these companies, you always have to, I think the, the worry is always keeping power in check. Is there a way to do that without having to break up the companies? I don't know. Um, I'm cautious of government stepping in to break up companies specifically just because of competition. I think that if you really did want to build amazing products against the likes of Google or Facebook, you can't do it. Facebook did it. Um, Facebook was tiny when it first started. I don't think that that's necessarily working against people, um, but I'm not sure how, you know, if you did enforce it, is that better? So how did Facebook treat, how did Facebook treat their competitors? They bought them. Yeah. It crushed them. It was, it was like a plato uplomo, you know? I, I, <laughs> that's what it was I, like, right? I don't think that they necessarily have to break them up. I think that they have to have laws that they enforce and resources that can enforce those laws when a company behaves in an anti-competitive way and that must be enforced because but, but there's got to be some kind of I I, I, I got to push back on that, Anthony. Like, as a, a company, in order to survive, you have to, you know, it's like war. Like and I, and I hate to minimize you know the the realities of, of war and I'm not trying to do that but you have to crush your competitors because it, it's crushed or be crushed 
Legally. And these guys are very mercenary-like in, in how they operated. Yeah, so he's got the he's got like as Anthony said, you got to do it legally. You have to right? do it legally. But yeah, I mean, to take a look, I'll give you an example. Like, like take the the banking industry. Like there are there are quite a few laws that 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 are meant to keep them in check. But if you if a if a bank like Deutsche Bank, I don't know, they they money launder billions and billions of dollars, and they make a profit of ten billion dollars from these nefarious activities, and then you find them half a billion dollars, that's a cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. So put a proper law in there and go, if you do this, you're not getting a slap on the wrist. You're going to get a big punishment, which, which is a, It'll which never hurts. Happen. And then, then you mold behavior. The problem is that these big tech companies are lobbying the governments and they have huge control over the laws that would be made. So they're never going to let laws get past that affect them well they're, they're not even american companies anymore right so if you look at google and you look at the the, the tax challenges I and mean, it's same with apple right you know force them to repatriate back to the u.s and pay an appropriate number of taxes uh, you know but they have operations and they shield their their tax liability all over the world right yeah, but, I, but those are, but again, like the, 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 that, especially in America, right? That's the landscape that the people put down. Hmm. The people's house created those laws, and they're only abiding by the laws that the people put down. I get it. I get it. Yeah, you yeah know? I, I, I think there needs to just be a, like, there needs to be a modernization, a perestroika for the digital age, where it's like you get, you know, people that understand technology understand data understand the law and then they put together better frameworks so you don't necessarily have to break them up but you have to put in the proper protections that yes because the, the anti-competition laws in the united states are such where it's are you um uh, uh, are consumers um beholden to higher prices or um can uh, companies extract higher prices from consumers Right, but when everything's being given away for free, <laughs> right, the consumer is already getting the lowest price they possibly can. Right, so that's not the issue. So the law is essentially outdated for the types of products and services that are actually being circulated for the time for our for our current era. And I go, I don't necessarily believe in uh, breaking up companies because that was a blunt tool used in the 1800s for that period of time. I go, there needs to be a tool um, that has a similar effect that doesn't squelch or, you know, um, squash entrepreneurship and, and, and success, All right? But these guys have said, hey, you guys are playing, it's like, a, you know, everybody pulls up to the racetrack and like the U.S. government is, on, is in horse and buggy and Google's in a self-driving car. <laughs> and they go, let's race. <laughs> lawmakers in the U.S., right? The average age of the Senate is mid-70s and then Congress in, in the yeah. mid-50s, right? These guys don't yeah. even know. Yeah. You know, so I think, like, you know, I I mean, I think as the generations kind of, as we move through the next generation of, you know, kind of tech-savvy individuals, people that understand um, data and media and how the, this technology works, you're going to see a lot of changes. But I just think that a lot of the ideas, especially coming from America, are from like the 1800s and the oil barons. That worked for Standard Oil. 
right? Yeah. In, in a way, in a way, it worked against the government because as soon as they broke up Standard Oil, <laughs> Rockefeller got even richer. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a political move by the Rockefellers to make that happen, right? So I'm I'm afraid that you know, you know, Bezos goes, go ahead, and break it up, and he they break it up. And he still owns everything. Yes, it's, there's a you know like an ethical wall between all these organizations, but they get even bigger. Well, that that's a, I, I think of it in my very basic mind. It's like a stock split, all right? They just break it up into ten different companies. Now he has ten different companies that he can sell stock towards, and and just repeat the playbook because they still have monopoly power in each of these little segments. Mm -hmm. right? To me, it's actually a good idea. Like you know, he can go from being a uh, a gazillionaire to a god what was that there was another new zealand term to talk about crazy fu money Colin, oh, you remember that i can't oh, remember yeah, I, I do i can't remember what it was though yeah uh, but i do anyway all right um yes yeah, so we hit on we, we hit on politics we hit on china we hit on trump and and american nationalism uh black lives matter and being a political activist within the company and kind of the, the business decision versus personal decisions and personal beliefs. Uh, interesting topic. The Just real quickly, and it, how has COVID changed the way in each of you has worked and, and, and what has it done for you in terms of your output, outcomes, uh, and kind of throughput? Someone want to take that one? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting topic. I don't think that me personally much has changed. Uh, you know, we've been working remotely for a long time. Um, maybe, you know, maybe in the early beginnings of having the kids at home all day um, was a little bit of a challenge. But I think what's been really interesting um, is seeing how other organizations have adapted, right? We were the weird guys on the outside, and I think everybody else was when we were working remotely before COVID and now it's sort of become the norm in a lot of places. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are struggling with the adaptation now. You know, I think a lot of companies saw, you know, a burst of energy or productivity early on for the ones that were able to adapt quickly, but are starting to see that lag now um, because people are missing that day-to-day -day interaction of being around people that they're working with. I don't think that's the case everywhere, but that is a challenge that I've been seeing a lot of companies dealing with um, and trying to figure out what is that middle ground or sort of that hybrid model that they might want to move to as things continue to, to open up. Um, I think it's a big challenge because in a lot of countries, you're going from working from home, opening up, back into lockdown, opening up again. It's a really tricky situation to be navigating and trying to figure out that path moving forward of accepting this as the new normal and expecting things to, to continue as is for a while, um, it's, an, it's an interesting challenge. And I think the, the mental and well-being of employees is becoming an, a way more important factor yeah. Yeah. Uh, now than it used to be. And that's something that is on a lot of people's minds and trying to figure that out to keep those productivity levels up uh, while helping employees navigate these, um, these challenging times. So instead of going crazy at the office, you go crazy at home. <laughs> yeah. 
It's funny. He's like, now people have more time to spend with their kids, but like Julius was like, God, I just get rid of my kids. Everybody I've talked to that have kids that, uh, particularly here in the U.S., where they just now started to open up schools, it's like all of them are going nuts. And Colin, you you haven't had kids yet, but no, yeah. when they're at a certain age and when you're around them twenty four seven, oh my <laughs> God, the things you yeah. want to say and do to these children yeah. um, should never be repeated. Uh, or said out loud. Uh, yeah, so I feel for people that have to uh, deal with the, the the kids at home, the online learning, because that was a big, I mean, that's been a massive shift here in the U.S. And, and how to deal with it, and we haven't dealt with it well. Yeah. Well, interesting, which kind of, you know, segues, not segues, but this could be included in this section is like kind of like a startup spotlight is um, – I spoke with um, one of the co-founders of a company called Remote, Remote.com, and they provide um, administrative tools for companies that uh, hire and work with remote employees. And they have uh, a global setup, so local entities in about 140 different countries where you can actually um, go through their platform and their, their infrastructure to be able to hire and employ people in a variety of different countries. And really great product. Um, they were all ex GitLabers, so it was a 100% remote team, and they felt the same way that we did. Where it's like everybody thought they were weird, very strange. But he said something to me which resonated, which was um, the nature of what we were doing. We had to hire the best engineers we could find, and we didn't want to be limited to the geography that was around the Bay Area. And so we just naturally went international, and we grew that way but we found it very very challenging very difficult and then there was a stigma involved with it but you know with now with covid it's like this is a very useful tool and we've been finding a huge uptick in you know the people that are interested in using our platform and obviously i was one of them because it's a very you know uh easy to use intuitive dashboard that allows you to um hire onboard contract and pay remote employees in 140 different countries and so I was saying to him, I said, like, you know, yeah, a few years ago, like, you know, we were the weird ones. We didn't have an office. Everybody thought we were kind of like, you know, you know, some kind of strange terror cell with technology. And, you know, <laughs> now everybody's having to adapt to this new normal. And there was people that were doing this a few years ago. And, you know, and we looked at it. It was like, you know, the office setup and the kind of post, you know, post-industrial world you know, organizational design is just archaic and a relic of the past, right? With the tools that we've got in terms of technology, communication, the internet, like it doesn't make sense that you're kind of bound by, you know, a geography and uh, physical constraints. Um, but that kind of, I, I think COVID is actually exposed, and we've talked about this before in the past, Zach, it's exposed the inherent weaknesses of that type of, uh, of a setup. Where it's like, if everybody's got to be quarantined and domiciled in one building next to each other in cubicles in order for you to be productive, there's something inherently wrong with the organization. You think? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I think I, what I've noticed, maybe it's because of our backgrounds and we kind of, you know, kind of, you know, grew together. But, like, there's just something inherently, like, you know, that we're – that by design, not, like, you know, intentionally, but because we were a remote team, we are distributed – and we were small, we had to be autodidactic, we had to self-learn, we had to find, you know, um, ways to compete, we had to find ways to communicate and find ways to be an organization and a company 
without the typical constraints of, you know, the the the, the traditional, you know, um, workplace setup. And I go now that the whole world has to transition to that. It's a whole new set of skills that should have been in the organization in the, to, to begin with. Right? Yeah. Totally. I think. Uh, I think just to add to that, I, I think COVID has, as you said, it's exposed the inefficiencies of, of working in one building in a centralized office. But it's also, I think, it's accelerated the digital transformation across like so many different sectors, like mm-hmm. e-commerce, online mm-hmm. education, digital banking, yeah. telemedicine, cybersecurity, video games, yeah, everything, cloud computing. It's just it's accelerated all of that, and I think, I mean, who knows how it's all going to turn out? But I think that it's a very interesting time to to be investing and and looking for new opportunities because when there's times of such transformation, you know, those are the, the times to, to start investing and looking at point. new opportunities. So to your point, Anthony, look at, look at what is, well, look at what COVID has exposed in the education industry. Yeah. People are starting to go, wait a second, I'm spending 50 grand a year for like a 24 hour yeah. nightclub for my kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and well, just like another example, like like my parents who are not very technically capable, um, they they've started shopping online. They're my dad's doing stop online. Now. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> my dad's doing online courses. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, this is like this is reality. They're like people have taken, they've they've gone to a different level. Um, this is just one like tiny example. So who knows. Yeah, so we, we have a rule here in the podcast uh, that is being enacted today and is going to be retroactive. Every time you say digital transformation, you have to <laughs> have a drink. Every time you have you say the word disruption, disruption. you have to drink twice. So, but that's, an, so that's only encouraging me. I'm Australian. It, I love <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I'll take one for the team here. So I read this report uh, from Deloitte on kind of digital transformation and the, the, the role that COVID is, is playing in organizations that need to digitally transform. I think it's utter garbage, right? And, and it goes back to what you had called Colin had said, it just, it's laying bare the super inefficient huge gaps in an organization's ability to 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 grow defend and and you know be future proof that's another word that i hate so i have to drink to that one too um basically it looks at like all these organizations need to need to digitally transform i'm I'm calling bullshit on it it's not digital transformation it's just working in the modern era it's leveraging to identify yeah. with and engage with your customers and grow customers. It's not transformation. You know, if it's transformation means you have a failed company, might be making revenue, but to call it a transformation, I, I, I just, you're a failed company that's getting by and there's, there's a hundred well, startups that over some point in time, because I'd of argue that, modern like, technology. I'd argue though that like, you know, a company like Walmart, has is 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 going or at the tail end of their digital transformation. I'd argue that like a company like Target is going through their digital transformation. But you know, whereas they haven't failed, it's just that that model 
is it will not be sustainable into the well, future. Why do we and call it a transformation? I, I have an issue with the word, word transformation. So I know uh, literally because there's because, well, but yeah, because there's still, still, there's still Walmart. Walmart. yeah, there's still Walmart, but they're going from one state to another. Yeah. So this doesn't the the underlying problem is is you have a, a a brick and mortar retailer that refused forever to use to adopt modern technology and modern business practices. I disagree. Tell when me. you because because here's where I disagree. I go Walmart was at the forefront of technology when it came to supply chain management. Okay. So they were a, a leader in technology in that particular aspect. Now, yes, there's a, there's you know things like you know mobile technology and the internet comes. Were they they were they adopting that in terms of a forward facing direct to consumer brand? Not necessarily, but I have to say they have done a pretty good job uh, over the last few years in in making that change. And I would say also Target has as well too. Nike, right? Nike's going through a digital transformation. They just hired. Uh, a CEO that came from the technology and finance world as opposed to a shoe dog. Right? So I think, you know, they're still Nike, right? But they're just now starting to adopt the things that are going to be, you know, that are more contemporary, right? Um, I'd argue, though, that, uh, you know, there's things, some things that will just get, that will just, I don't know if they'll die. They seem to having a, a renaissance is the, the shopping malls. The renaissance is, <laughs> it's funny, Jeff Bezos kills the shopping mall and then he goes and buys the shopping malls. <laughs> But that, so that's like, part of his brilliance, and that goes back yeah. to competition and the monopoly oh, and, and the wielding of power. I'm going to crush you so I can buy it pennies on the dollar, rebuild it in my own likeness, and make a billion dollars on it. I, but I'd argue though, like you know, some of these these private equity companies, they're 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 holding him over the they're holding him over the barrel because they go, yeah, you ran us out of the shopping malls and we own the property, but we own this property in prime real estate area. In a, a very good urban, you know, uh, uh, locale for uh, uh, urban distribution center. Guess what? We could charge you rent now, right? And we might not have the 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 the, the retailers in there, but we know we've got. We can put your robots in here. We're gonna make you pay, Mr. Bezos. <laughs> right? so can you imagine Jeff? Jeff Bezos is like, in his wildest dreams, you could have never thought about. One day, all shops are gonna be closed. <laughs> and I'm just gonna yeah. rule the world, like all my, like half my, all my competitors are gone. I mean, it's just like it's a perfect situation for him. Couldn't get any better. You know, so, so I think you know those are you know even like even the shopping malls are going through a, a digital transformation. If they're getting refitted with like you know industrial robots and and uh, and, and uh, temperature controlled you know um, you know warehousing, you know, they're still the same real estate company but they're going okay we can't be housing brands where people walk in there and you know kids hang out after school it's going to be <laughs> shipping a logistics for for amazon and target and all these other people you know, I, so i think i've always relative. thought it's overused by the consultants though yeah yeah well, why don't we have a startup shopping mall mm. why don't we i mean why why, why you have space and you, you get these corporate guys that come in and go shopping for a new fintech. And hey, here's the fintech shopping mall portion of the mall. No, I want well, agri-tech. Here's, here's five agri-tech startups. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're 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 definitely going in that direction. <laughs> definitely going in the direction. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, we're not, now we're just dragging on. Um, <laughs> anything anybody else wants to talk about? Um, I don't know. I think for next week, I mean, I would love to kind of delve into uh, um, the changes in education. I think that yeah. would be kind of interesting. You know, okay. if we were if we were talking about something, so we keep our eye open for that. Um, because we do politics pretty well, but I'm thinking like, yeah. you know, what are the? I'm I, I have a, I have a, I have a soft spot, spot in my heart for education, but I don't really, haven't really gotten a chance to explore that too much with you, with you guys. All right, so let's make it next week is all about education and digital transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Disruption. <laughs> oh my god um all right uh good session guys we are up against time we'll see you next week uh, we'll talk about education the role that covid is both accelerating and decelerating uh things both on the online and offline sectors of education and really want to talk to you particularly you colin as a harvard alum and the role yeah. that Harvard has to play and the, the other large institutions mm. in this balancing act between are we getting an educate are we selling you an education or, are or we an experience selling, are we selling you a network access to a network yeah. like-minded yeah. wealthy people well, and on that cool. note we'll leave it up thanks everybody have a great day goodbye well,